If you would, turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to be looking at, a, again, a very familiar story, but again, one hopefully that uh, will bring out a few things for you and challenge you, but also be an encouragement to you. Now, when I was younger, I was a pretty typical boy that I was uh, mischievous and not to the bad extent, but I like to do things and uh, have adventures and that. And I can remember very vividly one time when I was probably about six years old. I was coming home down the street and like little boys tend to do, you know, you pick up rocks and you toss them and have fun with them. And, you know, thinking all the time in my head, my mother always said, don't throw rocks. Well, who knew that rocks were magnetic with glass? Picked up this one rock, and I tossed it up in the air as high as I could get it. And it came back down, and there was this car sitting on the side of the road, and it hit the windshield. <laughs> and there was an older teen that was nearby, and he uh, saw what happened. And he told me, he came over, he said, you stay right here. And then he went to the front door, and, of course, I took off. Not knowing that, you know, in my six-year-old head, I was thinking that somehow I could get away from this. I could escape it and avoid any consequences of my actions. Well, in the same way, Jonah kind of did that. He was running from God. But let's just take a moment. Um, I know it's long, but I'm going to uh, read through this for us, uh, just as you may have read it recently, or it may, may have been quite a while since you've read it. But let's read through this. What I'm going to do is highlight and kind of look at the first three chapters, but really then focus on the, the fourth chapter. Beginning in one, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, now the, word of, excuse me, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call unto thy God. If so, that... Excuse me, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. 
Then they were afraid, exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What should we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so that the sea shall be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it about, to bring it to land. But they could not, for the sea was wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, <clears throat> I cried by reason of mine infliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, and in the midst of the seas and the flood compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even the soul, even to the soul, and the depth closed round about me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountain. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainteth within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. And they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the preaching that I did bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, lest them not feed, let them not feed nor drink water, 
but let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mighty unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But, the God, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted. And he wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? So is the brief story of Jonah. We really don't know a whole lot about Jonah. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, I believe it is, that he's mentioned briefly as being a prophet that prophesied about the expansion of Israel. And here is the rest of what we know about Jonah. We don't know if this was typical of him, if it was near the beginning of his career or the end of his career, but at this point, we see him refusing to do what God called him to do. And Jonah was such an odd prophet of God in many ways. Now that's saying something, because when you think about a lot of the prophets and what God called them to, they did some strange things, not they in themselves, but what God called them to. You think of the prophet Hosea. God called him to marry an unfaithful woman who would continually go and be unfaithful and he would have to go and bring her back home it was to be an example of israel's unfaithfulness to god you think of ezekiel you may have remembered when pastor was preaching that ezekiel at one point was told to lay on his right side 
to uh, for so many days to exemplify how long Israel would uh, have to endure their sin, the, the judgment of their sin. And then he was to lay on the left side and it was to do the same thing. And so prophets aren't normal people, if you will. But Jonah is like an anti-prophet. God calls him and he runs. He exemplifies somebody who is running from God and from what he has called him to. The book here we have is a narrative history. It's a, a teaching history that would live and help us to understand some things about the Lord. First of all, Jonah is called by God to cry about the sin of Nineveh. And Nineveh was a uh, tremendous city. If you remember, it was started by Nimrod, that great hunter. But it was also a city of great sin. If you look uh, just a couple books later in Nahum, you've got Micah right after Jonah and then Nahum, chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. So that's God's view of Nineveh. It's full of blood. It's full of theft and lies. And then in um, verse 19 of the same chapter, he says, There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that the bear, the brood of it, and all that, excuse me, all that hear the brood of thee shall clap their hands over thee. For unto upon whom thou hast wickedness pass continually. So we see that Nineveh was a great city. Its wickedness was there. In this passage we see as he calls Jonah, the wickedness of the city was piling up before them. It was like a stench before God. Sometimes we read in the Old Testament of how God with the offerings that were presented before him, there would be a sweet savor that he would smell. Well, the sin before him was a stench. It was ugly. It was horrible before God, and it was building up. And God calls Jonah to go and preach against the sin. Um, where's Jet, when you were over in the Middle East, did, did, were you near Mosul? Okay. So... Jet would have been over about where Jonah was because Nineveh, by all archaeological aspects, was about across the river, Tigris River, from where Mosul is. So that you get the idea of where that is. We hear about that city today, and it's in that same area. But Nineveh was a, a great city, a great city of sin, is a great enemy of the Lord himself. And it was a great enemy of Israel. And so the, the Israel had hated the Gentiles and they were infected with self-assuredness. You see, God chose Israel to be a, a select people, to be his testimony before the world, to the Gentile nations, to live before him and to step out and to witness and testify to his love. But instead, Israel became very exclusive, and they forgot that they were God's 
chosen to the world, and they felt that God was theirs exclusively. And Jonah was infected with this as well, and so he did not want to go and preach to this nation he hated. And so he ran. And anyone here, young people especially, but anyone here, it's not a good idea to run from God. It's not a good idea to turn when he's put a call on your life, when he calls you to a purpose and to go the other way. And as we read, that's exactly what Jonah was doing. If you would look at a map, if you would look at a map and and the Mediterranean here and Israel's here and Nineveh's over here, God called him to Nineveh. He went that way toward Tarshish. He went the opposite direction. One truth that we need to understand, if you turn briefly with me to the book of Acts, as we're looking at this call of Jonah, is that God loves all people. God God loves all nations. It's not just a, a specific people. It's just not a couple people. It's very clear in Acts 10, 34 through 36, Peter comes to this realization. Chapter 10, starting at verse 34, he says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation... He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. And so we see that, and then if you turn a few chapters later to chapter 17. Verses 26 and 27, this is one you may have heard Pastor Read a few times. Speaking of the Lord, it says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So it's very clear in Scripture from that and other passages that the Lord loves everyone. He loves all people. But Israel and Jonah had come to the point where they were very exclusive about God. They felt like he belonged to them alone. And therefore Jonah didn't want to preach repentance. He didn't want to preach to Nineveh about their sin. And we'll see in a few minutes it's because he understands that God is a merciful and gracious God and is forgiving when people come to repentance. So he runs from God. And I want to ask you just where you are. It may be a call to a specific purpose. It may not be full-time ministry, but are you running? Has God called you to do something that you're running from or ignoring? You see, the truth is we all have a purpose as believers. We all have something that he has prepared for us and he calls us to and we need to respond. 
So Jonah gets in the boat, he goes down below and he falls asleep and the storm, the Lord prepares a storm, brings it upon the boat and the boat is tossed about. It talks about the waters being tempestuous before them and the men are afraid and so they get in the uh, they're worried and they're crying out to their own gods that God would save them. And they start tossing things overboard. This is their livelihood. They're so scared for their very lives that they start tossing the things that would give them money to give them revenue overboard to lighten the ship, to be able to better control it. But that doesn't help. And somewhere along the way, the the master, the captain of the ship goes down below and finds Jonah asleep. And he basically says, what's the matter with you? Get up. Start praying to your God. And then it comes to the point where they decide to cast lots and it falls upon Jonah. And Jonah says, I'm in a Hebrew. Uh, I worship the God of heaven, the one who created the earth the dry land and the sea. And then they became very afraid because you see, they they worshiped other gods, but when he said he's the one who created the sea and the land, they realized that it's Jonah's God that is controlling this storm. But Jonah comes to the point, he's so set in his way of running from what God has for him to do that he says, toss me overboard. He sees no hope. He has a death wish. He would rather die than to obey what God had called him to. Such was his opposition to Nineveh. Such was his opposition to what he was called to. And finally, at first they they don't want to throw him over, and then they come to a point where they realize they can't do anything else. They They can't save the boat. And so they tell Jonah... And they cry out to the Lord, please don't hold innocent blood against us, this life. And so they toss him overboard. And immediately the storm ceases. And it makes these men very afraid. And they they worship God and they sacrifice to him. They turn to him and, and, and revere him. They don't understand him fully, but they know that he's the God of the storm, the God of creation. God can use us. I'm not going to make a whole lot of this, but, you know, God can use us no matter where we are. Even in that situation where Jonah was being disobedient, where he was speaking and he was running and he finally confessed what he was doing. These men still turned to God because God used that situation. But in verse 17, it says that uh, God prepared a great fish and it swallowed Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And of course, we're all familiar as we're familiar with the New Testament that the Lord himself used this as an example. He says, as the prophet Jonas was in the belly of the fish, For three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. But Jonah is there. God prepared that fish. Just as Jonah was prepared, just as Jonah had a purpose, that fish had a purpose. 
theoretically, think with me for a minute. What if that fish had not been responsive to God? What if it had gone the other way? Where would Jonah be? Where would there be? Think on your life, those of you who know and love the Lord. If somebody from your past who is very instrumental had not been obedient to the Lord in sharing with you or sharing with somebody that then later shared with you, where would you be now? God has a purpose for each one. God has a a calling for each one. Again, it may not be full-time ministry. It may not be a preacher or full-time music ministry or or anything, but he has a purpose for you. I was talking to uh, Brother Jeff, uh, who I disciple, just the last couple times we've been together, that God doesn't save us just to save us. He saves us to a purpose. Each one of us has a purpose before the Lord, a part to play. It may be a moderate part. It may be a very large part. But he calls each one of us to something. Don't run from it. Don't ignore it. That great fish had a purpose. God prepared him for it. Can you imagine the the fish, again, complaining? God, what have you done to me? I've got the sour prophet in my belly for three days and three nights. But God has brought that fish, and he was obedient, and he played a part. We don't think about it, but he played a part in God's plan to bring Jonah about to where he needed to be. All of this takes place at to bring Jonah back. God wasn't going to let him go. God was going to bring about Jonah to where he needed to be. You know, Jonah, his hatred for Nineveh, his worry about what would take place in Nineveh if he went and preached to them was what drove him the other way because he understood there were two responses When there is sin, there is judgment. And there is judgment, there's two responses. You turn and understand, you recognize that sin, and and you call out to the Lord for forgiveness and repentance and, and pray for his mercy. Or you reject it and go on your own way. And Jonah understood that. He understood that there were Two responses when he was told to go preach to Nineveh. Only two choices. Accept it or reject it. And he knew with God that there was a chance that God may forgive him. And he did not want that. And so he was not fulfilling what he wanted to do. Now I know each one of you here as believers, you have people in your lives and you love everyone, nobody's a trouble, nobody is a aggravation to you and, and everything, and, and you care about each and every one of them. I know that you don't hate them like Jonah did. But is there somebody you're not sharing the gospel with, that you're not sharing God's love with because of that 
enmity between you, that irritation that you have. Maybe you're not as thinking about them in the way that they need to be thought about. That they need the Lord well. They need God's message of love. Well, and I'll move on here quickly with the next two chapters. Chapter 2, Jonah wanted to die rather than obey. He is so set in his way. He is so obstinate. Any parents confess children like that? <laughs> Maybe you were like that. I don't know. But Jonah wanted to die rather than to obey. But when he's in the belly of the way, and you notice in, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, he, his misery is so great where he is, he's comparing it to being in hell. He's crying out from hell, he says. But finally he relents and he says, I will follow through with the vow I had vowed. And we don't know what that vow is if when he was called to be a prophet, if it was just, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and now he is running from it. But he says, I will follow that vow you have called me to. And so the great fish, again in obedience, he vomits Jonah up on dry ground. And so I won't focus on that for, for the presence of some people and talking about the moistness or all that that Jonah would have been in. <laughs> but that opposition, think about that, uh, of that mess Jonah was in. And he was thrown up on dry ground. I don't know the situation if Jonah cleaned up and went, went to Nineveh or straightway went from there, what he looked like, what condition he was in. But he responded, and he went. I'm not so sure how willingly he went, but he, he said he would, and he did. So in chapter 3, it begins by saying, The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. Preach to it, preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah responds, and he preaches the coming destruction. And just like when Peter and the disciples preach in Act 2 of the day of Pentecost when he cries out and says, You have crucified the Son of God. You have crucified your Messiah. It says they were pricked in their heart. And so Jonah and, excuse me, as Jonah preaches, the people of Nineveh, God moves them. They're pricked in their hearts to understand that they have done a great sin before God. And so they begin to mourn in sackcloth and ashes and ask God to forgive them. It says, from the king down to the least. And it says, who knows if he may be forgiving, that he may forgive us. The word of God goes forth and it's powerful. It doesn't matter if it comes from me or, or from you or from one of the young people. When we teach the word of God, when we speak the word of God to our friends, to our family, our neighbors, it's powerful. It won't be empty. It won't be useless. It will be powerful. You may not see the result immediately, but it will come about. 
In chapter 3, verse 5, after Jonah's preaching, it says the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. Is that what it says? No. It says they believed God. They believed God, and that's because Jonah was God's representative. He was preaching God's word. He was telling them about their sin, their need for repentance. Again, it's the same with us when we go to our friends and neighbors. We need to pray and and trust that as we speak God's words, it's God speaking to them, and they believe God, not us. So they believe God. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil he had said, excuse me, that he did, he would do unto them, and he did it not. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. It's interesting that here we have a preacher that goes out, he's reluctant. Finally, he turns around and after his adventure, he goes and he he shares this message with the people that need to hear it and they repent and he's upset. Here is the key to understanding Jonah. As I mentioned earlier in verse 2, And he, speaking of Jonah, prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying, my saying, when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Was this not my saying when I was still yet in my country? He ran the other way because he knew that God was gracious. He knew that God would forgive. He knew that God would be merciful if the people repented of their sin. Here's the crux of one of the issues here. Jonah had the knowledge. He knew that God was a judging God. He knew that God was a forgiving God, a merciful God. But it wasn't in his heart. He had the head knowledge about what it was, but it wasn't reaching him in the heart. Maybe there's somebody here tonight. Only you and the Lord knows. You have the knowledge of what the Bible says. You have the knowledge that we are all sinners before God. And that the penalty the payment for sin is death but that jesus died on the cross shed his blood was buried and then raised three days later in our place maybe you've not acknowledged that tonight or yet in your life you have it in your head but it's not reached your heart yet that was the issue with jonah he was Speaking, he knew the truth, but it just wasn't in his heart yet that God was forgiving. He knew that, but he hated the Ninevites so much that he did not want to be the instrument of God's compassion 
for Nineveh. I think of a, a little child again in a tantrum when they don't get their way and they're holding their breath and they're turning blue because they, they, they're just so stubborn. Jonah won't quite give up. He's angry. He's done what God has called him to. The result that God wanted that should have been Jonah's desire came about, but he's still angry. He's still upset. Could you imagine Pastor Jim going to a service somewhere where churches come together and have a, a, a meeting, a, a services for a city, and that he preaches and many people from the outside who wouldn't step inside a church come and they, they receive the Lord. And the pastor gets upset because there are so many. It, it just doesn't make sense. Let me share with something with you. It's a little off a little bit, but it's the same kind of idea. Back in 1770, in Virginia, it was, again, this is before the Revolution, the Constitution. It was illegal. There were state churches. And so if you were not in Virginia an Anglican, it was against the law as a Baptist to preach the gospel. And so these three men went and preached the gospel. And Patrick Henry, as a lawyer, is there. And he reads the indictment quickly, and then he stands up and he says, May it please your worships. I think I read by this prosecutor as I entered the house the paper I hold in my hand, if I have rightly understood the king's attorney of this colony, has framed an indictment for the purpose of arraigning and punishing by imprisonment three offensive men before the bar of this court for a crime of great magnitude as disturbers of the peace. May it please the court, what did I read? Did I hear it distinctly? Or was it by mistake of my own? Did I hear an expression as if a crime that these men are charged with? What? For preaching the gospel of the Son of God? Swinging the indictment three times over his head, he claimed, Great God, may it please your worships. In a day like this, when truth is about to burst into fetters, when mankind are about to be aroused to claim their natural and inalienable rights, excuse me. When the yoke of oppression that has reached the wilderness of America and the unnatural alliance of ecclesiastical and civil power are about to be dissolved at such a period when liberty, liberty of conscience, is about to awake from her slumberings and to inquire into the reason of such charges as I find exhibited here today in this indictment, if I'm not deceived according to the contents of this paper, I now hold in my hand, these men are accused of preaching the gospel of the Son of God. Great God, with similar words, thrice repeated, he inquired, what law have they violated? And the judge couldn't endure it any longer, and they bade the sheriff to dismiss the men. And I share that with you because it, 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 Patrick Henry was railing against it. What laws are against preaching the gospel? And in the same way, Jonah is upset. He's angry because people responded to God's message and repented. 
And God forgave them and had mercy. Jonah was angry. He was very dramatic about it. He says, it is better for me to die than to live. The second time. It is better for me to die than to live. Somehow in my mind I think of Captain Kirk. Overdramatic. It is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> but he's emphasizing, he, he's talking with, living with drama here. He's like, a, again, a, a kid who's not getting his way, and he's like, I want to die. G. Campbell Morgan says that Jonah was like Israel that they had come to a point of the belief that God belonged to them instead of them to God. So God questions Jonah in verse 4. He says, doest well to be angry? Jonah doesn't respond, it tells us. But in verse 5 it says he goes out to wait. So Jonah is still waiting. Well, they repented, God forgave them, maybe they'll do something, God will still destroy them. So he goes to sit and wait to see what's going to happen to the city. Doest well to be angry? Do you know what came to my mind when I read that again? In Genesis chapter 4, remember the story of Cain and Abel. Abel brings his offering of the first lamb offers a sacrifice. Abel, or excuse me, Cain brings his, his harvest and offers it. God accepts Abel's sacrifice but rejects Cain's and it says Cain is very angry. He's wroth. God says, doest well to be angry? If you do well, you will be accepted too. So God prepared Jonah as a prophet he prepared the storm. He prepared the great fish. And in verse 6, 7, and 8, we see that God prepared a gourd. He prepared a worm, and he prepared an east wind. As Jonah sits there, God creates this gourd that comes up and has these large leaves, and it gives Jonah shade, it says, from his grief, from his, the heat of the sun. But then the next day, he brings a worm that destroys the gourd and it withers. And then an east wind comes and it says, Jonah fainted. I understand that. I, I, I don't do well in the heat. I can easily faint. <laughs> but God prepared these things to teach Jonah. And God asked him a second time, doest thou well to be angry? And I don't know if Jonah had had enough. He's to that point. He says, I do well to be angry. And then comes the, the response of God. He said about Jonah being more concerned about this gourd withering than for the people of Nineveh. Believe me, this spoke to me this week too. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our little things, our little concerns, our 
are, are things, whether we get upset about them, like a gourd, you know, withering, but some thing in your life that really is insignificant, when yet we have people that we know need the Lord. And maybe we're the one that has that opportunity to share with them. Now, this is not a thing of guilt. This is a thing of where you're called. Each one of us as a believer has that spirit of the Lord in us. To be moved of him and to share and to, and to take part. We have a purpose. Don't run from God. Don't focus on those insignificant things that bother us when there are more important things, the souls of, of people, of lives. Uh, turn with me to Second uh, Peter 3. Some of you will know where I'm going. Second Peter Oops, that's why I wasn't finding. I was in First Peter. <laughs> First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine, says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance." And Jeff shared this morning that. A challenge that we not become complacent. Each one of us, first of all, as a believer in the body of Christ, have a purpose. And then individually, he calls us to different things, some to smaller things, some to great things. But we should never lose sight of the fact of the need for individuals for Christ that, that we need to be about, whether we're here, whether we're at school, Wherever we are, you know, when we leave Sydney, when we leave Troy, Piqua, wherever we live, we don't leave the gospel there. It goes with us. So my challenge to you this evening would be that you would respond to the Lord. You would respond to those things he lays upon your heart, that purpose. Obviously, again, soul winning each day, being a taking every opportunity to witness. But let me finish with this. Again, only God knows and you know. Perhaps there is somebody who still hasn't taken that step of faith. You have that head knowledge of the gospel, but it's not been in your heart yet. It has not reached your heart. Tonight would be that night to share to repent, to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. I know a lot of you weren't there, but this morning I shared from Psalm 18 in Sunday school class of how David made that psalm very personal. Everything he said was, he's my Lord, he's my rock, my fortress. Can you say that 
about the Lord as your Savior. He's my Savior. The second thing for those who have received Christ, is there something he's called you to? Is there a purpose that he's laid upon your heart that you're running from, that you're resisting? Yield that to him. It may be scary, just as, again, Jeff shared this morning, there may be fear there about, what do I do? Yield to him. Follow after him, because there will be blessings in it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for this opportunity to share and to just uh, go to your word and, and see how you taught through Jonah.